Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Morning, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. We have reached the end of our commissions. Yes, it, this is a somewhat sad moment, uh, listeners. Um, it may not be sad for you all, but it's sad for Nia and I because we really enjoyed uh, working our way through various government commissions um, and uh, uh, what they've uh, concluded, um, things that they really highlight about how the government works or doesn't work, as the case may be. Okay. Sadly. Um, um, and for, you know, uh, longtime listeners of this podcast, um, you all probably have picked up on the fact that Nia and I uh, have an insatiable curiosity. Okay. Um, and part of the joy of doing this podcast is that we end up finding out some stuff that we probably didn't really know or didn't register before. Yes. I, think we're both, I think we're both getting to an age to where we're kind of sort of like, I may have heard about that. <laughs> I may have known really that at one point. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Like I may I have known remember. that at one point, but now I'm not sure. Yeah, right? Uh, um, so it's a, it's a little sad. It's a little sad. Okay? But it's also, um, but I think I'm going to keep my feelings secret because that seems like a thing to do today. <laughs> and I'm going to put on a happy face. Oh, nice, nice segue. Is okay. that, how was that? That was good, huh? Yeah, because uh, today, uh, uh, folks, um, uh, the commission we're going to be looking at is the uh, Moynihan Commission uh, on Government Secrecy. Um, actually, the formal, the formal title of the commission is the Commission on Protecting and Reducing Government Secrecy, uh, aka the Moynihan Commission named after its chairperson, US, longtime U.S. Senator uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, who was a senator from the state of New York, okay? Pat Moynihan. Yes. Highly respected. Yes, okay. Um, uh, which is not, it is not surprising that someone of his stature was put in charge of talking about government secrecy because yes. Patrick Moynihan was also respected for keeping his counsel. Like he didn't just, uh, okay, so side note, you know, when you watch anything from Congress and there's always people who run out to the cameras and the, and the microphones and they wanna be, they wanna, you know, get out there and say what it is they wanna say, that was never gonna be Moynihan. That was just That's not right. his style. Well, and he was an, ac he was an academic, right? I mean, he, he's almost an accidental member of the Senate, right? <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, this was a really smart person, okay? Right. Um, he could have had a long career, okay, as a college professor. Um, um, and he was willing to speak truth to power to both Democrats, and he was a member of the Democratic Party, but also Republicans, right? Yeah. He, he had no problem you know, saying to members of his own party, okay, I think you guys are wrong. Right. Okay. Um, you know, he wrote some really fascinating stuff in regards to the efficacy of social policy. 
But in this instance, okay, he was the chair of a commission that looked at government secrecy, okay? And it was created um, um, in um, uh, 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 the mid nineties. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, it actually extended for a couple of years because it got funded in two different um, fiscal years, 1994 and 1995. Um, it was part of the Foreign Relations Authorization Act and it was to conduct, quote, an investigation into all matters in any way related to any legislation, executive order, regulation, practice, or procedure relating to classified information or granting security clearances. That's, not, had, a, that's not a, you know, a, a, a big... Oh, not at all. Yeah, right? I know. <laughs> I'd like for you to talk about anything that has to do with secrecy. Like, holy cow, you do know that's 90% of the government, right? Like, yeah. it's not really, it's not that, but it's, but it's not a small chunk of change there to talk well, about it, secrecy in the American government. It, it, it was one, and that's one of its, you know, primary, if you will, conclusions slash criticisms is that by the time we got to the mid-90s, too much of the federal government was classified slash secret. Yeah, the, okay. the sprawl of that. Is, had become ridiculous. Yes. Uh, and commission... I'm not entirely certain that it's unridiculous now, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, but I mean, uh, uh, the commission uh, finished up its work in March of 1997. And unlike most of the commissions we've looked at, this was not uh, charged, created in response to a specific event. Um, it basically reflected the end of the Cold War um, when uh, 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 during the Clinton administration, um, you know, uh, the, the federal government began to go ahead and uh, reflect on how are we going to change when we are no longer fighting a Cold War? Okay. Right. Um, how are we going to deal with secrecy how are we going to deal with privacy and secrecy and and all that other kind of thing when we don't have a direct enemy attempting to get our secrets although i would argue that that never stopped but no but yeah i mean fair point but you know for listeners i think we're the... in a tepid war now don't you <laughs> Like we're not cold, we're not hot, we're just sort of tepid. It's just sort of tepid. Everybody yeah, the, wants to know what everybody's doing. Yeah, the, the 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 threats are not as clear and obvious. We're not in a tepid war. We're in a nosy war. Yeah, everybody it's wants nosy. To... What what you doing over there in Iran? <laughs> yeah. What you doing over there in Moscow? What you doing over there in Washington? Right, like. It's, yeah, what, it's what, like when you when you hear a noise in your front, like out driveway, you know, out your driveway, and you look out your blinds, your front window. You just want to know what's going on. What's going on, on right? Yeah, you know, you, you know. Yeah, you hear a car uh, 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 backfire, and you're like, "So, w what's going on there?" Right. right. Okay. Um, it, it's kind of, <gasps> sort of rubbernecking. It's like uh, when you drive past an accident, you don't really want to know, but you kind of do want to know. It's that horrible place in between where you're hoping it's not 
somebody important to you and you're hoping the person's not dead but you kind of like seeing the wrecked car yeah yeah, that's what I we're mean, that's the kind of war we're in now we're in the nosy rubbernecky war yeah right i mean you know we're told there's all kinds of threats but in many ways they don't seem to be clear and obvious right right you know um you know it, it's not like the the build-up to a world war okay um it's not a quote-unquote um ideological war like we saw with the cold war I mean, even, you know, the, the global war on terrorism has dissipated, right? Um, you know, as we are recording, a couple of weeks ago, President Biden announced that the United States are going to remove most of the troops from Afghanistan uh, by some point later on this year, right? So it's, it's just a weird time, but the government still keeps a whole bunch of stuff technical language alert, okay, <laughs> secret, okay? Right. Um, and the Moynihan Commission was looking at one of those periods post-Cold War where we began to ask questions. How much stuff needs to be secret? And secret. how much stuff should we, how much is that just protecting bad decisions or choices that may maybe shouldn't have been made rather than actual secret stuff that would that would endanger human lives would endanger you know and you know and how much did this become you know pathological behavior right okay? or habit no. <laughs> yeah or just right? habit let's i don't know let's just put it down as classified then i don't have to think about it right like it's if you have to pick the level for your document and you really have to think it through then then you have to slow down for it. But if you have millions of pieces of documents coming through, you just stamp them all classified and keep going, right? Like, and then you don't have to think about it. But before we get to that, can we talk about the membership of this committee? Because there's a person, there's a person on this committee. I won't say near and dear to my heart. That is exactly the wrong way that I think about Jesse Helms. But it makes me, I mean, it's, it's the exact opposite of near and dear to my heart. But Jesse Helms was effective. He was an effective senator and he was a smart senator. And it, it occurs to me that sitting in a room with him and Moynihan must have been painful for some of the other people on this, on this commission. Yeah, because- Talk about polar opposites. Yeah, polar opposites. Uh, both thought in most situations they were the smartest person in the room. Right. Um, they frequently gave, you know, public speeches to where if you were listening to the speech, you thought that you were being lectured to, okay, by a priest or a minister at church on Sunday, or a really long-winded college professor who really didn't want to know what you thought. Right. They were just going to go ahead and tell you how you should think. Right. right. And the difference between the sort of and the bombast of of Jesse Helms, who never met a microphone he didn't want to make love to and didn't want to do it as loudly as possible. Like, yes, it's just kind of a fascinating. I mean, I know there are other people on the on the no, commission, but, I mean, you, you, yeah, but yeah, those I mean, two people just make me yeah. think, wow, those meetings must have been 
Yeah, Moynihan could be probably best described like the teacher in the Peanuts cartoon. Yep. Whereas Jesse Helms, okay, Jesse Helms, okay, probably woke up in the morning yelling and fell asleep at night yelling, <laughs> yep. right? Okay. Yep. So, he, had, he had a lot of passion. Let's yeah, say right? That way, a lot of passion. But, but you had some really top shelf individuals on this. And once again, very few women. What was it? Uh, one. Ellen Hume. Yeah, we had uh, Allison Fortier and Ellen Hume were the only two women. Um, but Allison Fortier worked for Lockheed. Yes. And Ellen Hume worked for the Democracy Project. Like, so they were, oh. it wasn't just casual women. It, everybody on this thing was a high level, top notch. Yeah. I mean, we had uh, uh, John Deutsch, the firm, uh, former director of the CIA. Um, you had members of the House were on here. Um, you had State Department officials. Okay. Um, Lee Hamilton. Um, uh, 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 a well-known Republican member uh, of the House, uh, Sam Huntington. Um, for those of you who uh, are IR students or scholars, okay, uh, the clash of civilizations, right? It's like the it's, standard. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't know how many times I've had conversations with my political science uh, colleagues, Chris Saladino and uh, Bill Newman about Huntington's work, right? Yeah. Okay, um, he was on there. John uh, Podesta, uh, who was uh, the Clinton Deputy Chief, Chief of Staff. He also had a prominent role in the Obama administration. Okay, right. um, he was on there. Um, so, I mean. It's a, it was a high level group of, what's good news about all of our commissions is that generally speaking, the the people who come to the commissions bring it like they bring a level of service and a level of knowledge that is really high end um yes. that's a that's a nice thing that we do with our commissions in the united states that maybe isn't always done in commissions in, uh, in other parts of the world because some of it is political cronyism but a lot of ours tend to be who's the smartest person who knows about this stuff Yes. And let's get him in here to talk about it. I mean, Jesse Helms had been, hadn't he been like foreign relations or some something where he would yeah. have had knowledge about secrecy and classified issues and all yeah. that kind of stuff? Yeah, he had been on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee um, for most of his tenure in the Senate. And, and, and so there was know, a reason to have him on there. He was. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was bringing it, it, an expertise level that. Yeah. And, you know. and if you wanted to go ahead and have diverse views, I mean, Jesse Helms, okay, was, <laughs> you know, you know, patriotic United States, right? Um, you know, national oh, security. Hawk. Yes, right. Uh, and, uh, and he was, you know, if you could get him to go ahead and agree to a conclusion, you basically knew, okay, um, that, you know, he would have gone, he would have thought of what would be the national security ramifications 
of, you know, advocating for X. Right? He was also diehard Republican. Yes. And so he would have been able to bring along people who otherwise might not have trusted findings by saying, I've thought it through and it totally fits with yes. Republican you know, party's platform and all those other kinds of things. I mean, Jesse Helms was a Republican through and through. So, um, and, and upheld those standards, like he would be appalled at the disarray that one might argue is currently affecting some parts of the Republican Party because he was stalwart, stalwart Republican. Yeah, um, and, and there are a lot of negative things you could say about Jesse Helms, okay? Um, and, you know, we could probably do an entire podcast episode. <laughs> we could do an entire podcast on, on Jesse. Jesse Helms but, was a, a, a nuanced and complicated figure. Yes, he was. Um, but one thing you could not say about Jesse Helms um, was that um, uh, um he was, you could not say that Jesse Helms um, uh, was, a, was a fair weather Republican, right? right. Okay. Uh, what is it that they call them? Rhino? Yes. Republican yeah, he, in name only? He'd have died yeah, first. Yeah. I mean, he, he would have been like, no, sorry, okay? If this is where the Republican Party is and it doesn't comply with these core principles, I'm out of the party. Right. I'm out of the party. He okay? would have struggled in the last six years or so. Yeah, yeah. He would have really struggled. Of, yeah, of the... he would have really struggled. So um, what did they figure out? Ah. Uh, Wait, let me guess. Secrecy? There's too much secrecy? Is that well, one of them? That is one of them. Um, they did go ahead and say... Um, it, it, and we could probably dis, you know, discuss this at, at some length if you wanted to. But one of their first conclusions was that secrecy is a form of government regulation. And their logic is this. If the government is deciding that information must be secret, then they are basically telling people who work in the government but also the public that in the infamous uh, words of Jack Nicholson's character in A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth. Right. Okay, it's a form of regulation, right? Right, the idea that you're protecting something, you're also regulating its access to that thing. That's right. That, that, that's why you turn the stove off and you don't let your kids touch it is you're regulating their access to harm to themselves by touching a hot stove. It's exactly right. And okay. so, you know, while that may be well-intentioned in the sense of, I don't want my kids to get hurt, it's also a form of censorship slash regulation where you're saying, and so I'm not going to allow it by preventing it in this way. Well, it also shapes decision-making, right? Because if you're the public and you don't have access to the information, you're casting votes, okay? You're forming, if you will, individual opinion, but also public opinion in the aggregate on less than complete information. Right. It's also 
it affects decision making within the government. Because if a department labels something, for instance, um, uh, top secret, then only a select few people can have access to that information. Okay. Right, which means that everyone else is operating in a vacuum from that information and may make decisions that would have been better decisions had they known the thing they don't know. Yes. Or as I believe one of our previous Homeland, is Homeland Security Secretaries, your unknown, what did Rumsfeld say about your known unknowns and your unknown yes, known unknowns? unknowns. <laughs> you know, and he got himself all twisted up in that uh, known unknown thing. But, but it does affect your decisions. If I, if I know that um, an incoming freshman is five foot two and has never played basketball in his life, but somehow he ends up in the recruiting roster and I don't tell the coach until he, like, I don't tell the coach Then until he shows up, the coach is thinking, Hey, I may have this great six foot five center, blah, blah, blah. Cause that's what it says on the bio. And then the person shows up and he's like, what, who are you? Right. Like that's a poor example, but it's a whole, I was trying to figure out a way to say, me knowing something, but you not having that information could really affect a decision or time spent doing something that you then go, oh, well, this was a waste of time because it had either already been dealt with or it or it is not relevant. Yeah. So, I mean, and again, this has ripple effects. Yeah. Bad decisions. Okay. Um, uh, Ill-informed decision making. Um, the government is not being held accountable. Because again, the public doesn't know, okay, um, what the government is doing, what information it is it you know it possesses, etc. So the Moynihan Commission was pretty clear about that. On the other hand, Nia, the Moynihan Commission was also very clear that secrecy is necessary for the government in certain instances. So, for example, okay. Oh, oh. I have yeah. an example. I had a student ask me one time for the detailed specs of the military weapons that are in space. Really? Yes. And I, not to call that person out if they're listening to this podcast, because you're very sweet, but you and the Russians would like to know the answer to that question, <laughs> which is why... It is not available to you or the Russians, right? Like <clears throat> there, there is some, there is something to be said for certain secrecy, for certain secrecy of defense. We don't tell everyone everything. We don't tell, you know, what exact specs are for whatever thing is that's in a place that's, that's our defense, because then our enemies could get around that, right? Like that's, well, Just Nia, part you, of protecting the homeland, as it were. Well, I mean, speaking of homeland security, uh, you and I both know this. Um, post 9-11, um, uh, the federal government went ahead and made um, uh, 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 top secret uh, the nation's electrical grid. Right. Why? Because uh, terrorist groups had already demonstrated that one of their most effective tools was to target a nation's electrical grid, 
okay, for attacks, okay, because, and, and for a period of time post 9-11, okay, the Department of Energy still had on its website, okay, the nation's electrical grid, right? Right. Okay, and the press made a big deal about all of a sudden it vanished, right? But at the same time, you know, that's a national security concern. The Moynihan Commission also pointed out another reason for secrecy, okay, which is, okay, to allow decision makers, okay, the opportunity to consider a full range of policy options without the fear of criticism. Now think about this, okay? If you're trying to decide the best way to respond to a pandemic and you don't know, okay, how the pandemic may spread, okay, is conveyed from one person to another or from animals to human beings, okay, you might consider options that later on look stupid, okay, when you actually do know how it spreads. But if you're afraid that those deliberations are going to be made public, okay, will you be as apt to go ahead and consider a full range of policy options? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. it makes sense. It makes sense that that, that could limit. Um, and there's a fine line here. And the Moynihan Commission, okay, was quite clear okay, that a lot of what they were dealing with, okay, were explicit trade-offs, right? Explicit trade-offs. That the more you made things secret, okay, there were negatives. On the other hand, the less you made secret, there would be trade-offs. Right. Okay. So you have um, to find a balance. You have to find a balance. But okay? you also not, you, I would say that the balance has to be more thoughtful is probably what they were trying to get at was instead of just defaulting to classified uh, and that is one of their primary criticisms that that had become the default position uh, of so many government agencies uh what i refer to in a number of my public administration and policy courses a particular bureaucratic pathology they actually have a quote and I love it, okay? Um, uh, uh, they have a quote from uh, 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 German sociologist Max Weber, okay? And this was Weber writing in the early part of the 20th century. Every, every bureaucracy seeks to increase the superiority of the professionally informed by keeping their knowledge and intentions secret. Bureaucracy naturally welcomes a poorly informed and hence a powerless parliament, at least insofar as ignorance somehow agrees with the bureaucracy's interests. Okay. And that captures why bureaucracies frequently want to keep things secret, right? <laughs> so Group A goes to Congress and says, we need a million dollars. And Congress says, what for? And they say, stuff. Yeah. And Congress says, what stuff? And they say, secret stuff. You just need to trust us and give us the money. And Congress says, I, 
but we're only going to give you half of the money because we don't trust you with that much money. So we're going to give you half of the money. And a smart secret secret agency would have said, great, because that's what we really needed to start with. We just asked you for extra because, you know, they wouldn't save that to Congress. But 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 that's what starts to happen, right, is that you get those black lines of and extend that further, Nia. Extend that further. If the reason why a particular you know, agency A got a half a million dollars by keeping Congress in the dark, right? Agency B, who doesn't know how much money agency A got or the reasons why, okay, will play the same game, right? Right. And after a while, now you have a legislative body making decisions, okay, that have a huge impact on the nation's budget, but there's no coordination, right? There's absolutely no coordination. Right, there can't be oversight because nobody knows, no one with, no one outside of each agency knows what each agency is doing. That's right. And so then you, then you get, you get potential overlap or worse, you get gaps you get the place where nobody's covering something because agency A doesn't know what agency B is doing and Congress doesn't know what either one is doing. And there's and a it, hole between them. Which and is listeners, remember one of dangerous. the conclusions of the 9-11 Commission report. Because agencies, okay, were not sharing information with one another, there were gaps. Right. Okay, there were and they gaps. they were deadly. Yes, okay. Um, some of the other findings, um, uh, they concluded the best way to ensure that secrecy is respected is to actually have less information be labeled secret. Okay. And I know that, that, I know that may sound intuitively wrong. But just think about it for a moment. If everything is made secret, then is it really secret? It's like if everybody in everybody who tries out makes the team, then there was no point to have tryouts. Yes. You could just have said, everybody's on the team. Come on, let's go play, right? Which is a nice way to do it. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But if you're trying to build an elite team, then you need to have tryouts because there needs to be some meaning to the idea of tryout. There you go, okay? If if there is no meaningful distinction, okay, then why have the distinction, right? right? Okay, I mean... So, um, oh, can we? Yeah, oh, go sorry. ahead. I, I want to. Oh, can we skip to one of your super interesting findings? Yeah, go ahead. The <clears throat> so I'm fascinated by this idea that people who spied for the Soviet Union didn't get in trouble because then we would have had to tell the Soviet Union, we would have had to basically tell the world how we knew they were spying. Yes. Like it's 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 this marvelous catch twenty two in the spy world of if I arrest you for spying, then then the 
opposite side will know that I knew you were spying and they will know that I somehow knew that and then they will change their methods, which means I won't know when the next guy is spying. Yes. So I have to balance sort of this idea of punishing people who spy with keeping the way those things operate open enough for me to follow them and protect myself. I found that really interesting when, when you, uh, sorry, Augie wrote this in his notes as interesting ex extra finding. And I'm like, yes, that is interesting. Well, the classic example is the prosecution of the Rosenbergs. Okay. For um, uh, spying on the United States for the Soviet Union. Okay. And for those of you who don't know the case of the Rosenbergs, um, they were uh, actually put to death um, uh, for espionage, okay? Um, and one of the more fascinating things that the Moynihan Commission, okay, reported on, okay, was that government secrecy actually hindered the prosecution of the Rosenbergs because the federal government did not turn over all the information it had on how they knew the Rosenbergs engaged in spying. Because to what Nia just described, if the prosecutors had exposed that in open court, then the Soviet Union would know how the US figured out they were spies. Which and that would. Yeah, Sorry, go ahead. didn't that cause for years people to say that the Rosenbergs weren't guilty? Yes. Like it okay. brought into question sort of the fairness of the American government and and prosecuting people who weren't guilty. And the American government is so terrible. Look at this. And the American government is like, man, if I could just tell you what I know, you'd shut up. Right. But they can't because. Because if you do, if you're the government and you do, then you let your enemies know how you are tracking, okay, their efforts to spy on you. Right. <laughs> okay, right? Um, I mean, th 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 at times, Nia, um, uh, um, as I was reading the Moynihan report, <laughs> the Moynihan Commission report, I felt as though I was in a plot of some John le Carre I was going to say, tell me it was John le Carre. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Or Robert in, in, Ludlum, one of the one of the great in, Cold War writers. Okay, um, as many of my students know, I'm a huge Lacare fan, right? Um, uh, and if you've never read his books, the plots are so dense. Yeah. Okay, and uh, they, they talk so much about the 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 pathologies of spy agencies during the Cold War, right? Yeah, my. That, my dad used to mark up his copies with notes to other pages like you, a character would appear and he'd be like see this page for this notation right because they were that they were like that reading those novels is like reading oh uh, like a, a doctoral dissertation exactly right? something like that where you're like oh i got a lot to keep up with here okay which but is what? accurate to the time right there yeah. were a thousand little cogs that moved in order for any of the spy machinery to actually work. And so much of Lacari's books was a commentary on the seemingly inane, okay, pathological behavior, 
okay, of spy agencies, right? right? That, you know, you can't trust the public with what you know, because if you make information public, then your enemies will know. You engage in subterfuge to direct them off the track of them being able to figure out what you know and how you know it, okay? And so they don't change their methodology because then now you have to figure out the new methodology, which takes a while and they may get something really valuable from you in the meantime before you figure out the new methods that they're using. Yes. So, you know, I, I mean, there's reasons for the spycraft to be complicated, but but I think it's fascinating this idea that some people just skated because otherwise it would have been um, it, it would have been deleterious to the overall effort of keeping America safe. safe. Yeah. So, so there you have a competition of goals or purposes. Right. On one hand, you might want to prosecute somebody for engaging in espionage. On the other hand, how do you give them justice? if you do not disclose all the information you have on them. And that's the other part of it is in our legal system, you have the right to know what the prosecution had, like the defense has the right to know that. Yeah, so it, then you get called, into the complicated, sorry, go ahead. No, it's called discovery, right? right. So you okay. get into the complicated ideas of of does discovery apply to spies? Well, it should because it applies to everybody. Like, if you have a judicial system that that applies things like that differently, then it's not a judicial system. It's just a mess, right? So yeah, oh, it just digs into all these. I'm Thank sure you. Moynihan, the first time he opened up the top of the can, he went worms and he put the top back on, right? Like. <laughs> And then he put the can aside and said, that's a can of worms. We don't want to open that. And then he realized, nope, we got to open that because everything. And to the credit of the Moynihan Commission, they did not, they did not shrink from these tough questions, right? Um, I mean, because not only did they go ahead and take a look at why we have classifications, right? You know, and, and, and by the way, for listeners, um, there are three basic, if you will, uh, classifications of information um, in the U.S. government. And Nia, do you know uh, what they are? I, I, classified, classified, eyes only, no. Classified, secret, and top secret. Those are okay. the three basic, right? Classified uh, means it should not be made available to the general public, right? Secret and things are often unclassified later, later. on. Yeah. That's that a, like was, a pretty easily reversible thing for the most part. Yeah. And in, 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 in one of the things that the Clinton administration convinced Congress to do after the Moynihan Commission was to declassify, okay, a whole bunch of information. And they basically used a time frame. Anything that had been classified for 25 years was to be made unclassified unless the agency, okay, this uh, gave a good reason not to declassify. Right. The okay. default was class was declassifying. Uh, yes. And, and the that agency was had to step in and say, no, no, there are still agents in the field or there are still whatever 
Yeah, right. Um, uh, and that you was had one, to opt back in rather. Yeah, I guess and that was one. That. Yeah, that was one of the big policy changes because of the Moynihan Commission, right? The second level is secret. Okay, if something gets labeled secret, okay, not only is that information not to be made public, but it also may be limited within the government. So where you went ahead and talked about uh, for your eyes only, right? That's where you get to go ahead and label whose eyes within the government could view it, okay? Right, not to leave this agency, not to leave the senior bureaucracy, not to leave whatever, whatever, whatever. But then the third category is top secret, okay? And usually with top secret, only a handful of people could see it, you know? The president, the national security, uh, 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 the head of the national security agency, or the CIA direct, uh, the director of the CIA, right? Um, or you know the the secretary of defense, okay? The joint chiefs or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I mean a very very small group, right? Their subordinates could not see it, right? Yeah. If that gets out, we're going to know because there was only four of us. That's right. Or whatever. Okay. Like that's going to be clear. It's going to be clear we have a leak at the highest possible level. And, you know, and one of the things that the Moynihan Commission really emphasized was we need to rethink, okay, how much information gets labeled top secret and secret. Okay. I mean, because they were just like a lot of this stuff, okay. Um, it, and it had an impact in ways that didn't reflect all that well on the country, particularly in the late 1940s and into the 1950s. And this is the other, if you will, interesting finding for me. The Moynihan Commission talked about how government secrecy led to the disloyalty effort. I was going to say Joe McCarthy. Yes. Is okay. that... I mean, you had consecutive presidents, Truman and Eisenhower, okay, who basically issued executive orders where federal government officials had to be investigated to measure their loyalty to the United States, okay? Um, and, you know, as you pointed out, Nia, um, uh, this is the thing that led to the McCarthy hearings in the 1950s, okay? Well, and yeah, those were the, the was it the House Committee on Un-American Activities? Yes. Right, yes. this idea, un-American. Um, yes. And he scared the snot out of people because- He, ru he is ruined- he ruined lives. And, I, and I'm just going to say, it is super hard to prove your loyalty. Because that's, that's proving a thing that is only proved during tests, right? Like, yes. your loyalty just is your loyalty until it's tested. And then we find out, so, like, how do you prove a thing that hasn't been tested? Or how do you, you know what I you mean? Know, like, that doesn't. It's you know, super the, hard to prove you're loyal. I mean, it's the old adage. How do you prove a negative? Right. Okay. I mean, you know, Nia, just for instance, you and me, right? 
I, I think most people would go ahead and say, yeah, they're generally loyal Americans. But both of us are very critical, right? right? Okay. Um, I mean, you know, listeners, you've heard, you know, me and I, okay, take broad swipes at any number of government officials, government agencies, documents to where we're like, oh, this was garbage, right? Right. Does that mean we're, we're disloyal? No, okay? It doesn't mean that we're disloyal, okay? Um, what it does mean is, you know, we want our government to be better, right? Right. You know, we want our government to go ahead uh, and do good things, right? Yeah, and I don't trust people that never say anything bad about something. Yeah. There's always something to complain about. <laughs> Like, uh, I don't trust you. You you feel it. You're just not saying it. You're just yeah. discreet. That's fine. Yeah. But the, the the idea that somehow your loyalty could come into question, and then and then what would follow would be one of those horrifying scenarios of being called in front of the committee and having to answer 10 billion questions of have you ever met john Agamaw? did you ever hear him in a bar at any point say that the communism is wonderful like hana 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 and you're like uh, 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 right you you start to i mean they ask you questions in some ways if you go back and you look at the at some of the hearings that were unanswerable i don't know where i was on tuesday march 8th of you well, know, in, 2010 in, or whatever. I don't know. Like, in, in this notion that you're guilty by association. Right. And that you're guilty until proven innocent. You're disloyal until you prove you're loyal. I mean, you know. Like, whoa. You went ahead and jokingly said, you know, you know, are you friends with John Augenbaugh? Well, why should my friends, okay, be judged? Right. Because they have a friendship with me, right? You know, just because I did something bad or wrong doesn't necessarily mean they did. Right. Okay? The unbaseball committee should not hold me responsible for the fact that you're a huge Yankees fan. Yeah. <laughs> now, it just so happens the unbaseball committee can stuff it because I like baseball. But, you know, but, I mean, it's, it's and I go down like, with you. But, yeah. I mean, how many times, Nia, you've heard me go ahead and say, you know, truth be told, I can't trust anybody who doesn't like coffee. <laughs> you know, right? Right. Okay. And yet think... we record every we record every week and I don't drink coffee and never have. So, and uh, somehow you've managed to to survive that. Yeah, I, I survived that. I don't think you're a bad <laughs> person because you don't drink coffee. You know, this idea that because at one point in your youth, you may have attended a few meetings that discussed communism and somehow you're disloyal. I'm just right. like, no, that that reflects to me that you have uh, a, a, an active mind, okay? That and is you wanted willing, to know stuff. You wanted to know stuff. Oh, yeah. You, you, in, in by the way, listeners, yes. Okay, I've read a whole, I've read a whole bunch of communist writings. I've even written papers in graduate school Okay, on Karl Marx, Lenin, okay, Stalin, okay, Angles. Mao Zedong, okay, does that necessarily make me a communist? No. Right. Okay. I'm not going to, you know, advocate for the violent overthrow of the government. Okay. Exactly. But, you know, I want to understand how a whole bunch of the world, 
subscribes to an ideology that's different than mine. Right. Right. To me, that 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 is the sign, okay, of a healthy, active mind. Okay. And a healthy, but, active democracy. Percy, yes. We can have that we can have legitimate discussions where we say, I don't know, would communism work? And then we work it out as a mind, like as a theoretical tabletop exercise, if you will, right, where we work it out and we say, well, it might work, except that we're a greedy bunch of goobs. And so that's not going to work. The ideal might be lovely. But then we take into account actual personalities as we work through it. And we say, well, that's probably not going to work. Or we have no evidence that it's going to work because it hasn't held up anywhere else. Like, and then we look at the historical examples. That that's right. That's part of a healthy democracy. If we don't ever say, I don't know, let's think through the idea of socialism and see if it would work for us or not. Then it. Then we don't. We don't know. How can we say that our idea is the best idea if we haven't challenged it? Yes. Right. We have to challenge it, and so that idea of loyalty, oh, scary. Because loyalty, in this case, read as unchallenged, unwavering devotion to the point of turning off your intellect, turning off your questioning mind, turning off any of that. And I, I don't think that's a fair position to put people in. Yeah, I mean... I it, want you to be super smart, but I don't want you to use your brain. Well, <laughs> how's that supposed to work? It's kind of sort of like a conversation I once had, uh, Nia, uh, with my parish priest. And I once asked him, would you prefer uh, blind, devoted uh, believers in Catholicism or those who come to it um, after um, openly questioning the doctrines, the precepts, etc.? And my parish priest was just like the latter, not the former. Right. Because he goes, then the belief, okay, has been hard earned and thought about um, and is probably more deeply accepted than those who just blindly believe. Right. And You're tested said, by fire. You're not tested by yeah, sunshine. Okay. You know. and, and back to the Moynihan Commission, I mean, his larger point here was in regards to loyalty, okay, because the government, okay, engaged in so much secrecy during the Cold War, okay, its investigations ended up becoming part of politics, right? right. Because they would not disclose to the public, this is what we have found, right? Okay, instead, it allowed, if you will, okay, a U.S. Senator from the state of Wisconsin and Wisconsin to go on national TV and basically besmirch a whole bunch of people. And how do you defend, okay, against secret docu documentation or information? Right, I know a guy who said this thing about you. Who's this guy? I'm not gonna tell you. Well then, how, how yeah, am how... I supposed to say whether that guy even exists or not? Whether I ever was in the room with that guy? Like, do they how, have do a... I, how do I do... defend? Did they have an axe to grind? Right. Okay. Did you I make mean, it up? Did they yeah, make it up? Like, okay. You know, a huge you... bunch of people we know in the in those issue in those in those hearings made stuff up because they were trying to avoid being called in front of the committees themselves. Like that's not 
that's why you're allowed to face your accusers in court. You don't. Yes. People don't get to just say, you know, I heard John Ogbaugh killed somebody yesterday. Like, wait, what? What? Like, yeah. no, <laughs> no, no prosecutor is going to take you to court over that unless I'm willing to show up and say, here's what I saw and here's where I saw it and blah, 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 blah. And there's also corroborating evidence. But anyway, I would need to, you would and you would be allowed to face me and say, what are you talking about? I was with my kid all day yesterday and I got, you know, I don't know, video surveillance to prove it or whatever. I, it's just weird. Yeah. Well, bless his heart, Moynihan. He was also coming at a time when spycraft had become um, a huge driver in the government. Like, right in the 90s, he's trying to wrap up all that stuff that was the 60s and 70s and early 80s, where you have enormous movements of nations in the spy world and what they were doing. Well, I, and I thought, Neil, where you were going to go with this was think about uh, the fortitude the Moynihan Commission uh, had to issue a report that basically challenged one of the, uh, you know, prongs of what Eisenhower called the military industrial complex. Yep. I mean, I mean, the Cold War drove so much government spending, okay, in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, right? Right. Okay. You know, it's difficult if you're the CIA to go to Congress and say, we need a 10% increase in our budget if we don't, if we're not fighting a war. Right. Okay. If we if don't have we, an obvious enemy. Yeah. Right. And the Moynihan Commission was basically saying, no, you know, not only should we get rid of all this, all this, you know, all these secrets, right, to, to end this, if you will, default position of let's label X classified or secret or top secret. He was basically challenging, if you will, um, uh, an entire industry that was predicated on we need to keep this secret and we need this money and we need to have this technology and we need to have this staff doing X. Now, unfortunately, Nia, for the Moynihan Commission, as we begin to wrap up this podcast episode, um, what happened four short years later? Remember, the Moynihan Commission was issued in 1997. Oh, that would have been 9-11. Yes, the 9-11 uh, attacks, okay, ushered in, okay, uh, a brand new era. Of spyness. Of, of, yes, of surveillance, secrecy, etc. I I'd not even think of that, but yeah, it yeah. would, I mean, they said, we shouldn't have nearly this many secrets, and everybody went, you know, that's a really good idea, and then four years later, they went, oh, everything should be secret, <laughs> because, yeah, you know, yep. um, Wow. I mean, so he this, had a very small window of success there. Yeah. I mean, and this is cyclical. I mean, if you look at American history, okay, pretty much every new war, okay, leads to, you know, people within the government that say, 
how do we fight this enemy if we're making all this information right and how we do things public okay yeah i guess that's the end of the cia facebook page yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding cia has a facebook page um but wow, yeah, I didn't even yeah. think about that. Well, that's so that's an interesting thing for the commission is we'll see maybe if there's another commission later on um, that deals with sort of electronic because think of all of this was mostly non electronic. Yes, it was old school. It was either in person print or telephone, but you're talking pre internet. And so Yes. It'll be interesting to see in the future if there's a secrecy commission that talks about internet secrecy. Yeah, and, and if and if members and of Congress and um, in the Biden administration are listening to our podcast, <laughs> we're sorry. <laughs> sorry, I just thought I'd throw that out there for what um, we've said and what we will say over the next four years. Um, uh, uh, I would highly recommend um, you create a commission. Uh, that looks at not only the issue of increased government surveillance post 9-11, um, but um, uh, a reflection on how we retrofit the U.S. Constitution to deal with um, uh, asymmetrical threats like terrorism, okay? Um, because, you know, you've heard me say this, you heard me say it in class, so uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Nia, you get to hear me say this again. We didn't really have much of a meaningful conversation in the immediate years after the 9-11 attacks right. on how we deal with um, this new kind of threat. Um, the U.S. Constitution, okay, for all of its good points, okay, was not written in an era of asymmetrical warfare, okay? And, um, and in the internet. Which yes, is the combination of those two things are it is rather potent. Yes. Okay. It's rather potent. But anyways, uh, Nia, I uh, thank you, um, uh, one, uh, for the excellent idea of doing these commissions. Um, but two, uh, for giving me an opportunity to uh, get into the mind of the Moynihan Commission, because um, this was one of the um, more uh, enjoyable uh, research, if you will, projects that I have had of recent vintage. Um, um, I learned so much um, uh, by doing this, so uh, I thank you. This has been fun, and the commissions yeah. have been fun. Well, not all of them have been fun, but well, they, they haven't all they've been all fun. been learning opportunities, and they've all been interesting opportunities for us to say, "Huh, that's a thing I didn't think about." Like this, this loyalty thing, this, and leading where secrets lead us. They lead us to places like the un-American activities. They lead us to to these dark places that we need to think about. What's the what's the cost of that? What's the cost of yeah, I mean, in of in, this secrecy, uh, in, in in and maybe we won't, we don't want to know. Maybe we, as the American people, don't want to know, but we should be asked if we don't want to know. Yeah, I mean, and in, in what are the trade offs? I mean, and and I know right. my students get tired of me, you know, saying this, but what are the trade offs, right? Right. Um, you know, if this, if a certain level of government secrecy is necessary for national security, for instance, um. You know, what is the trade-off in regards to uh, an informed public um, or informed decision-makers within the government? 
Right. Um, right. You know, it's terrifying. Congress just handing over money and saying, don't do anything bad with it. See ya. I mean, yeah, I would mean, your parents have given you a hundred dollars <laughs> when you were, would your mom have given you a hundred dollars when you were 16 and said, good luck, <laughs> anything bad? Of no, course. my, my, my mom wanted pretty much on the hour phone calls, letting, <laughs> letting her know what I was doing. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't that be marvelous if there was a committee that the CIA had to call every two hours and say, okay, this is what we're doing. And this is where we are. That would be awesome. Okay. Well, on that happy note, uh, I will talk to you again soon. All right. See you, Nia. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.